Good morning, and welcome to Legal Defense with Kirk and John. I'm Kirk O'Bear. I'm John Birdsall. How are you doing, Kirk? Well, I am fancy. Uh, fancy wow. good. Fancy well. Okay. Wow. That's like an old, old, old timey term. Does that seem like a thing to say? That's, say? That's, that's <laughs> an old timey term. Sort of like bully. Yeah, I'm kind of old timey that way. How are you? Bully. <laughs> <laughs> there was a great so, uh, family guy uh, cutaway on that. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, this reminds me of the time when I was. Uh, no. uh, so, an int- uh, interesting little side note here that I mentioned to one of our associate attorneys, one of our excellent associate attorneys, attorney Stephanie Rock. Um, They're all excellent. Who, as her name suggests, she is a rock star. Um, I wasn't sure if you were available this week. Uh, to do the radio show because I know you've got some things going on. And I asked her if she would be willing to do the show with me and she reluctantly agreed, but uh, I'm going to save that for another time and, and we'll see if we can uh, okay. get she some was, of her expertise. She was, on. she was hesitant. Well, just that she's never done it before. And I yeah. said, there's no big deal. You just open your mouth and see what comes out. You know, it's <laughs> what I do every time. It's sort of like when I'm off to go to court. You know, right, right. Just like start talking, you know, figure it out later, figure out what you said later. You know, <laughs> you get the transcript um, from court, you go, wow, that was pretty good. <laughs> which reminds me, hey, this is funny. I know I've shared this with you before, but I can always tell if a court reporter likes me or not because he or she can probably take liberties with the ums and ahs and things like that. And if they want to make you look like you're a bumbling, you know, bozo they can put all the little patterns of speech that we all have when we're trying to gather our thoughts you know um like i just did right now when i said um (laughs) you know speaking of court reporters this is actually a huge issue um in milwaukee county in particular but statewide i guess too a shortage of court reporters there's just not enough of them and courts in milwaukee at least have had to shut down because they didn't have court reporters or they're trying to or they'll go through some of their business with um, without a court reporter, and they'll just put it in the minutes, which is just a little sub. I know. Oh, that's dangerous. Well, that's you know, unless there's you know um, going to be witnesses and testimony, um, and then they have to find a court reporter, but they can't find them. There's just there's just like functionally, there's not enough, um, and. Yeah. Judges are so frustrated with it. Among and that's just one <laughs> that's just one little part of the uh criminal punishment system wheel um where um you know it all has to be there, you know, it all has to be there to have it function, you know, the, the public defenders, the appropriate number of DAs, the appropriate number of judges, clerks, etc. 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 And, um, you know, constantly this is just mismanaged, you know, and this is just another example. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, there's a lot of moving parts and I, I know that back, I would say about six, seven, maybe eight years ago, um, there was a consensus amongst people that are in the system that we deal with that, the job of a court reporter would become obsolete because of technology. And I think that's not recording. Yeah. Like, like, you know, electronic recording of things. And I know, I mean, we have a lot of courts that are doing that 
and that alone. And then if there's a transcript that's needed later, they hire a court reporter to do that transcript. For example, in most federal courts, that's what, that's what we're doing now. Um, it's just recorded. And if you need a transcript, you know, you got to request that the court hire a, you know, and then usually you got to pay for it and get somebody to do the transcription from the recording. But uh, I did a federal trial uh, in January of this year. Um, and the judge asked the parties, both of us, if we wanted, because she had elected to be a, a court that did not have a court reporter regularly. But for the trial, she asked if we wanted one. And I said, yes, um, because um, the problem is when you have recordings, people aren't always next to the microphone and people um, don't necessarily you know, uh, maybe they, they um, slur a little bit or they, you know, they, they, they run over the words or people are talking over each other and it's impossible to We're relying on the technology to be working and who knows if it is or isn't. Oh, I mean, it's, it's pretty it's another thing. So, you know, this is just another um, quandary in our uh, criminal punishment system. I don't know, you know, necessarily. Uh, I think that there are people that would have, would have probably wanted to pursue that as a career because, you know, court reporters are all have always been in high demand for a lot of different things and depositions and, you know, taking, taking down notes for all kinds of things. In addition to, you know, pretty much everyday daily business inside the courtroom. And I think that there had been sort of this view that they're going to, it's not a good career option because of the way technology has been advancing. And here we are with, well, you know, also, a huge percentage of qualified people. Also the pay, you know. Yeah, um, yeah I, true. So, but, you know, this is actually raises a, sends me off into a different direction here, but um, but court reporters were not always a thing. <laughs> um, trials were not always transcribed. Uh, and I don't know exactly when it started to be a regular thing, probably in the 30s when the discovery rules were implemented in civil. Well, and also the, the invention of the stenograph, you know, the thing that, and I don't know when that was, but this was a fascinating book that I read and I'll just discuss it briefly here. Um, it was called Lincoln's last trial and it's by, um, uh, Dan Abrams. Dan Abrams is the son of Floyd Abrams famed first amendment, um, uh, litigator, and although the one case that I don't approve of was Citizens United that he argued. But anyway, um, <laughs> so Dan wrote this book and he's a commentator and he has a, a show on uh, oh, yeah. satellite radio. Oh, yeah. he's, he's, he's quite a good, he's like on ABC, I think. I think he does the court TV. To, I mean, not court TV, court cam, court um, cam show, doesn't he, he? He's got like a new network started. But anyway, he wrote this book with another a gentleman whose name escapes me, but, um, and it's about a murder trial in central Illinois that Abraham Lincoln tried months before he was, it was just before he was nominated for the presidential ticket on the GOP ticket. And it was like a self-defense case. And it was a couple of country boys and, you know, they were going back and forth uh, with some argument, and I think it was about a something about a girl, you know, <laughs> and um, and uh, and um, this guy was you know coming at him, and he defended himself, 
And it was absolutely fascinating. The reason it ties in with court reporters is because Lincoln was so famous at that point that this guy who uh, was a stenographer, well, that not really. He did shorthand, right? I don't know yeah. what you call that, a shorthander? A scrivener. A scrivener. A scrivener. <laughs> sure. Well, I guess he was like, like top of the game professional at this. And he worked for... I think the Chicago Tribune, although he did side stuff. And so he would follow Lincoln around to wherever he was making speeches. And, of course, this trial was a huge risk for him as a political candidate, <laughs> right? Right. And yes. um, Which makes you respect him even, even more than we already do for what happened after. Uh, but... Um, uh, and so this guy was doing something that was unheard of in the uh, in the 19th century, which was he was taking down word for word everything that happened at that trial. And right. the descriptions were just amazing. I mean, I highly recommend this book for anybody that's interested. I have to read that. I know you've mentioned well, that to me before, but yeah, that's I, a sounds like one I got to add to my pile of books yeah, that I'm reading. For sure. So anyway, I guess the long story short is that there's a lot of moving parts in a system, and it is a system, okay? Uh, and it has to be designed to work efficiently. It's like, you know, you're designing a car or you're designing, you know, whatever, uh, a spaceship, <laughs> you know? Well, every good point because it's amazing how often it breaks down. It really does. That's a because, lot. That's you because know? they're not thinking through a lot of stuff and people are getting caught up on, you know, we want more cops. We want more DAs. Well, that's, you know, I guess a discussion we can have, but if you're going to do that on the input, you know, at the other end, there has to be public defenders. There has to be clerks. There has to be enough judges. There has to, you know, that whole thing. And that's just like, you know, they, they stopped listening right after they heard the word law enforcement. So you know. how, much, and how much money, how much money all this would cost to, to do more and, and be oh, more yeah. and no doubt. All that. So, yeah. All right. We got to take a break, but we'll be right back after these messages. We are back with more legal defense. We made it. Well, we kind of got, <laughs> got off on some tangents, but um, well, the whole show is, but tangents. I think it was an, we should just call this show. Tangents. Well, uh, That's. <laughs> Legal defense tangents. I so I think that, um, but I think it's an important point to talk about how systems work and how if you're going to have a system that works efficiently, whatever the whether it's our criminal legal system or our you know uh, I don't know pick a pick a department the Department of Agriculture the Department of Transportation you know whatever. Those are all systems. And in fact, every business is a system. Every family is a system. You know, it all has to like kind of work together. Um, and for some reason, in this most important and critical part of our democracy, uh, that the Bill of Rights devotes no less than four amendments directly to mm -hmm. its functioning. Yeah, there's, there's, no, um, there's no other subject matter that has that many amendments devoted to it. And yet, and yet it's taken as kind of a toy by politicians. And that upsets me, you know, I don't mind having a debate. Oh, right. About, I don't mind having a debate about, you know, 
do we need more cops? Is there, you know, that, you know, whatever it is that, you know, should we increase penalties for this, that, or the other thing? Yeah, it's worth talking about. It's, 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 it's fine to have the debate. And I engage in those, you engage in those all the time. And we have very different views than a lot of people. But, you know, when somebody just like by fiat wants to, you know, massively increase one side, part of the system without adjusting for the others, well, you get what you got now. Right. Which is a mess. Right. And I, and which is a mess. what frustrates me most about that is that, and, and, you know, political candidates do this all the time. And I don't care. It's not one party or the other or, in, in anything. It's just something that happens a lot. You hear this tendency for that, for people that are running for office to say, you know, they're going to be tough on crime. They're going to, they're playing on the fact that none of us ever want to be a victim of a crime. And, the, and some, some people have, and that that's tapping into that, that fear factor. I mean, it's such a more complicated and um, incredibly difficult issue without simple answers to say that well here's the interesting part Kirk is that crime's been on a downward spiral for two decades now right but it's still happened part so, of that, you know you part can, always, of that you can always point to a crime that happened you know I know but the overall trend is it's way down mm-hmm. way down from where it was say in the ni- early 90s or even the 80s yeah, and there are a lot of and, reasons for that that we can point to because Really, it has to do with the improvements in other areas of our society. You know, there there are problems arise and and things happen. We have trends that go up and down. But you know, a strong education system, having a a good infrastructure, having having good police uh, resources, having community resources, having education and treatment resources. These are all things that have we've gotten much better at in the past twenty well, three years. I guess I guess my point was is that. Even now, right now, and we're just days away from the midterm election, which is going to be monumental, I think, um, given all the election deniers from 2020. And um, uh, and and so, uh, but but crime is still a huge selling point, despite those this decades long trend of 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 reduction. And so, um, it's an emotional thing. Mm-hmm. And it's stoked by you know TV shows and you know and just and just in sensational crimes like Daryl Brooks for example you know Darrell I mean Darrell excuse me okay, well, I mean I know yeah. that we, we we had a discussion about this ladies and gentlemen listeners um, that we had pretty much gone through two entire episodes of this show discussing that trial. And um, I know that we could probably do five or six more, but uh, it's, you know, we wanted to move on. Uh, sentencing is going to happen. Well, we'll talk about sentencing when it happens. How about that? Uh, okay. Let's put off for a bit. But, but sneak preview, it's going to be life without parole. So. Well, right. Or, or, you know, 700 years. And like that. Yeah. I, I remember a case that came out years ago that, that, uh, the issue was whether a sentence was excessive. And it was one of those cases where somebody had like a 550 year sentence. And the, uh, when the motion was made that this was, I think, it, I don't know if it was an eighth amendment motion or if it was just, you know, one of those galleon motions or something like that. And the court commented that like, well, he didn't, he didn't get life 
without parole. He got 550 years. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, one of the interesting things, uh, just to talk about uh, a case like that would have had 76 counts, but anytime there's multiple um, convictions, whether it's by a plea or by a jury trial verdict, um, the judge is duty bound to meticulously go through each one of them and assign a sentence that is supposed to be, well, first of all, just so everybody knows, the default in Wisconsin is that probation should be the sentence unless there's compelling reasons that incarceration is necessary, either for the protection of the public or some other factor like deterrence or just, you know, sheer punishment. And, and, and so it's, I think it's, it's fascinating to watch some judges because some are really good at, you know, kind of micro analyzing each specific count and then deciding whether they're going to run end to end or together concurrent or consecutive. And, um, and this is going to be a challenging one for Judge Doro, you know? <laughs> well, just I mean, because it's going I, to take a I, long I'm, time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I just mean in an academic sense. Right. I don't mean the unresolved, <laughs> okay? Right. Uh, but um, it'll be interesting to see if he accepts an appellate lawyer and uh, what, whether he does or not, what his issues on appeal might be. You know, I mean, what I've seen typically in that scenario is that when someone represents them, him or herself at trial and they lose, they tend to accept an appellate lawyer. <laughs> that's that's what I've seen many times in the past. You know, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, uh, I don't know. But <laughs> anyway, Anyway, you know, the, there's another big trial going on the, of the Trump organization in New York State I Court. D- I did. I haven't been following it very closely other than um, kind of like who's been subpoenaed and stuff like that. But I, I don't know what's gone on with it so far. I, 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 I haven't followed the exact details, but I do know that the um, uh, I believe the government is either close to resting their case um, or has already done so. Well, and, this, um, this is a criminal trial, but it's against an organization. So that, that's correct. So I know that that's confuses a, very a, lot unusual of, a lot of people. I mean, it's well, kind of weird. What, what do you know about that? It's kind of a white collar thing, right? I mean, I don't. Well, you know, the thing is, is that um, I think that the net effect is nobody goes to jail, but the organization, if it's found guilty of a felony, might not be able to um, get loans or might be, you know, prohibited from getting loans uh, or maybe not. I don't, you know, honestly, I don't really know. Uh, or, but or financial penalties you know, that are severe enough that they could be considered criminal, you know, because of it's not mm-hmm. mere yeah. civil, civil punishment. Well, I know they have a, they have, they have a, they have a witness that Alan Weiselberger from who was who their, I believe CFO for a long, long time. Um, is testifying for the government. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and the other thing, the other interesting case is that Oath Keepers case going on in Washington, right? From the, it's a conspiracy to um, 
engage in insurrection. Right. And, uh, and I believe that the uh, the lead defendant is going to testify on his own behalf. Ooh. Like, like soon. You know, this this is why I'm glad that Court TV has a channel now that you can watch on Roku or wherever you watch things like that. Um, which actually it's it's very good. I don't I mean it's better than when Court TV used to be on TV. Uh you can no. I like being able to go back and see stuff that you may have missed. Uh that's that's they, they, they tend to like all news organizations tend to sensationalize things. <laughs> Or, or vamp it, you know. Like, you know, they'll, you know, on a break, they'll just talk about all the stuff that just happened. With like, oh my gosh, this is so consequential. <laughs> yeah, I know. But at the well, same time, talk, dude, you've been on court TV many times, and you do this. I have. I know. I'm not. I'm not ripping on it. <laughs> they, 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 they do a really nice job overall. I think when I listen to the commentary of some of the both on-air guests um, and uh, the the hosts, um, I think they do a pretty good job. Uh, honestly, and um, but the, but the, but the really nice thing about it is, is that they will show everything unedited, gavel to gavel. That is cool, you know. And that that's the real magic. If you have the time to watch it, you know. Sometimes it's hard during the <laughs> day, you know. But if I if there's something big going on and I really want to see it, I'll have it on in the background at least. All right, my friend, we got to take a break. The uh, sponsors okay. are knocking on the door. And uh, we got to let them in. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back. back. Legal defense. I I wasn't sure who was going to say it. So it was actually uh, my turn. So I went slow and then you. Okay. Well, that's fine. Stand down there. Stand (laughs) down. I was kind of looking at you and I forgot whose turn it was. What a greatness that is, Kirk O'Bear. All right. So right before the break, we were talking about how on court TV, it's kind of fascinating to watch these things unfold in, you know, uncut in real time with, um, you know, unedited, basically. Uh, I don't know if there's got to be like a time delay, right? I mean, they don't broadcast it live as it's happening. It's, gotta, it's probably like the Brewers game. It's 10 second delay or something like that. There's um, probably a delay just for expletives. Um, but, right. um, and I know that like they'll take breaks because they obviously have to pay the bills, right? But um, they always say, uh, that you're not going to miss a thing. We're going to pick up exactly where we left off. And so, you know, so they build in those delays, which is a business thing, you know, now, obviously. I, I find that fascinating because, uh, you know, trials can be exciting. They can be, you know, I know that when I'm in trial or when you and I are doing one together or whatever the case is, you know, our adrenaline is just flowing. The blood is pumping. I mean, it's, it's very, it's like being on a roller coaster, a white knuckle roller coaster all day long, every day that you're in trial. That's how it feels. But what's actually happening in court, 90% of it is just like mundane paper shuffling. And, you know, you got to wait for those highlight moments and they don't happen like, like we always talk about law and order. It's not like that. <laughs> um, well, so a, lot think- of, a lot of a trial is setting up for those moments. Or yeah. knowing that they're coming and being ready for them. That's where experience comes in, you know? Right. Um, and, uh, and so, um, and it's things like the foundation for a particular piece of evidence or, um, you know, and, and, you know, and people might call those technicalities, but they're actually really intricate rules of evidence that have been developed to try and make this a fair process. You know what you know, I, to the extent that people, have trials anymore. What I've come to appreciate over the years is 
is a more, uh, I guess, a broader understanding of why we have the rules that we have. You know, just kind of a, a sense of, you know, what makes sense and what's the purpose behind, you know, hearsay, for example. People talk about hearsay all the time. Oh, that's hearsay. You can't. Blah, blah. And then, as you know, there's many, many exceptions to the hearsay rule. And all of them right. are based on some sort of theory or philosophy that, okay, okay. generally we want to have, what, why is hearsay not admissible in its, in its general sense? Well, it has to do with the confrontation clause of the Sixth Amendment, right? And the fact that, uh, I guess it's not proper to say confrontation clause, the confrontation provision in the Sixth Amendment, because the Sixth Amendment is confrontation. Um, so the inability to cross-examine somebody in our process of trying to find, quote-unquote, the truth, which is another term that drives me crazy, because who knows if whatever happens in the trial <laughs> is ever the truth. I mean, that's not, it really, who knows? I mean, it's just, it's such a bizarre approximation of what may or may not have happened with us feeble human beings trying to figure it all out, you know, but when uh, we have these rules and, and that's a good example, you know, there's a, uh, an exception to the hearsay rule called dying declaration. I mean, I've, I've had it come up once or twice, you know, in my career and you know, the history behind this is that, so any exception to the hearsay rule is if the statement is made under circumstances where, Generally, and a lot of these exceptions are you based consider on, it reliable. You consider it reliable. It's not a situation where someone would tend to lie or tend to fabricate or tend to shade things in a particular direction. So you know why the dying declaration rule is still the law? Um, this goes back to, you know, hundreds of years ago when this, this idea was first put forth as a legal theory. Well, it's because if you're on your deathbed and you know you're about to meet your maker, whoever that is, you know, Jesus, Allah, you know, <laughs> um, you're not going to lie because that, that would be a sin. And then you'd go to you'd go in the downstairs elevator instead of the upstairs elevator. Um, that, that's literally why we have that rule is that it's assumed that if someone's just about to die, that they wouldn't dare lie about something can you believe that yeah, well i had um there's another one called excited utterance it's completely nonsensical it's 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 often used <laughs> by prosecutors to get in hearsay that's that's one of their favorite ones oh judge this was an excited utterance which i won um, but th they, the judge let it in. Mm. Um, he's like, you know, it was something, uh, a, a, a young girl told her mother and he's like, you know, uh, and of course the mother was like a complete liar, but anyway. Um, and so that's just one of many, you know, and there's a lot of like things about documents, uh, medical records, business records, um, uh, that are routinely brought in without, um, a witness. Right. Here's they're not. If they're not made in anticipation of litigation, but if they're done in the regular course of That's business or something else. I want to go back to what you just said about that excited utterance, because the, the way that I've explained it to people is that the best example is that I walk into my kitchen and I, I rest my hand on what I think is the cool burner on the stove and it's actually hot. And I say, ah, that was, it was involuntary. And you could derive what just happened 
circumstantially to mean it was hot, right? Or, or if I say, ah, that's hot, I'm responding to something that's happening where I don't have time to formulate uh, the substance of what I'm going to say. It just comes out. Now, that that's, that is an excited utterance. But the way that this gets applied, you know, to so many situations, and then there's a silly sort of uh, interpretation of it when it's a, a very young person or somebody who's in a state of trauma. There's, you know, the time period where it's, a, you know, an excited utterance could go on and on and on for infinitum for a very long period of time. But it becomes one of those open doors um, to the hearsay rule that, prosecutors try and walk through all the time but here hearsay is an important rule because it's really supposed to preserve um the trial process itself that's what trials are about is take the taking of evidence in the courtroom where and we still believe in this it's it's and first-hand knowledge first-hand knowledge knowledge that's ever it is that's spoken about in court under oath yeah right by the way, the, um, the under oath thing, how, how seriously do you think everyone really takes that? I mean, I'm sure some people do, but, you know, I don't know. I think some of these millennials or whatever you want to call them, <laughs> younger folks, is that does it have the same? I don't know. Does it? Uh, what do you think? Does, um, does that, does that gar- guarantee, does that give the jury an assurance that the person's telling the truth when they swear to tell the truth? I think the only th- effect it has is that people generally, I think, understand that um, lying in court um, is basically crime. It's a crime. And, um, and, uh, and I say basically only because I don't think that people firmly understand just the consequences of it. But they know it's a very formal atmosphere that, that you have to be accurate and you can't just make stuff up, you know, um, although people do. All the oh, time. They do all the that's time. What, that's what juries are for. Right. Is and to you know what? sort that out. But and then part of the problem that we still have with this quote unquote truth seeking process is that a lot of testimony that happens in court, you know, it, it, one would like to believe that everything's black and white, that someone's telling the truth or they're flat out lying. They're just lying, 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 or they're just telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth. The majority of testimony, well, I don't care who's testifying. It could be from an expert, a police officer, a defendant, a witness, whatever. It's still an approximation of what happened based on your memory and having thought about it many times. And these are issues that, of course, John, you and I learn a lot about over our careers and how the human brain works. And I think it's really kind of shocking and surprising how feeble our brains really are, you know? Well, you know, there's something called the lizard brain, and it's it, it. What what that means is a retreat back to a gut instinct as you're intaking information. Whether you're hearing somebody speak words, you're watching their actions, you're getting a sense of who they are. Maybe you're interpreting that through your own life experiences. It's like, oh yeah, my uncle is just like this. He's a liar, you know. <laughs> you know whatever you know, that's that's. But imperfect. It's just so it's so disturbing to me that people's entire, you know, futures, and, and I mean for both sides, whether it's the defendant or, you know, a, a purport, alleged victim of a crime, it all rises or falls on a jury's impression of the testimony. It's 
you know, it's just so weird that, that, that we live in a world where that level of imprecision exists. It's just crazy to me. Yeah. Anyway, we do have to take a break and we'll be right back. We are back with more legal defense. Wow. So much going on. Well, we've got midterms coming up. Yeah, we do. You know, I don't know, two days. Yeah, yep. we'll see. So, well, you know, we were talking about truth in court. Mm-hmm. How about truth in political conversations? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> too big? Too much? Too no, no, no. Let's talk about it. I mean, uh, it's interesting because, you know, lawyers have a duty to tell the truth. Um, generally, <laughs> like in life. <laughs> um, and politicians do not. And it's interesting, you know, this one of the examples that you and I often cite in this context was when now former justice um, Michael Gableman ran for office against incumbent Lewis Butler. Mm-hmm. There were, it, it kind of set the bar really low for, for what you can, you know, what you can get away with. And I believe that there was an ethics investigation into the whole thing, but the ads were just tremendously, you know, flat out false and, um, you know, couldn't even be justified as not misleading. But, you know, that was also when there had been a trend of, of making, you know, adjusting the color tint. And I remember that, that those ads made Lewis Butler, who's an African-American person, look like he had darker skin than he really has in well, some of those that, ads. That's a time-honored press tradition. And this wasn't the press, but, um, and, and that's playing to our worst instincts. Right. And it's, it's terrible. And that's but, PAX, you know, PAX, by the way, because PACs can do whatever they want and there's no rules, not none whatsoever. They can be completely flat out false and there's no, there's no accountability for it whatsoever. None. Well, that's you know? the whole problem with Citizens United um, and the whole flood of dark money where we don't know where the money's coming from. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, corporations are people. Okay. <laughs> but I guess uh, I mean, uh, that's, that just seems like such a stretch. And I wonder stretch, when or if the Supreme Court would ever have a chance to. You know, that's one of the big, you know, if you're, if you're an originalist, you got to go <laughs> back and say, what would James Madison or Alexander Hamilton or, you know, any number of the founders say about this outsized corporate power, um, you know, as speech, quote unquote. Well, I, you I know? don't think they could have ever envisioned that for one thing, no, because it's kind of bizarre, but, uh, you know, to take it a step further, I think that if the idea is that um, a, a corporate entity, you know, a being not people, but a business for profit, not for profit, whatever has the right to make statements. That, that's really what that's all about. So, but what the problem is with citizens United is that it goes so far as to um, promote the system whereby there's unlimited money that can be thrown at these political ads and all, all they have to do to get away with it is say that they're not endorsed by any particular candidate or coordinated yeah. with any particular candidate, which by the way is yeah. against the law. You can't, 
you know, somebody. Uh, well, that, was the uh, whole, that was the whole um, John Doe investigation against Scott Walker. As they mm-hmm. were saying, he was coordinating with these groups and he had a private mail server and um, the, in the county building, <laughs> this was. Uh, and um, who wrote the decision that shut down the whole thing and ordered uh, the prosecutors to destroy everything? Remember? Oh, I believe that was uh, uh, Justice Gableman, if I'm not mistaken. It was. It was, in <laughs> fact, the 400-page decision. And it was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen because it, it um, like many decisions, though, uh, you know, kind of dressed up in fancy lawyer words, um, uh, what was essentially a political act. Yeah. And... Um, and, and that's, and that's, you know, something that I guess maybe you'll never avoid it totally, but you know, the whole system is supposed to be having this third branch to be this neutral arbiter. And, um, you know, that's, that's, it's not reality, but we try and do that as much as possible. And there's been some great decisions over the years and there's been some horrible decisions over the years. Sure. Sure. You You know, one thing that that occurs to me is that the way people used to formulate their opinions about who they should vote for probably had to do with, you know, going back a hundred or more years, um, reading the newspaper, you know, listening to speeches live in person, but you know, the way that news was transmitted was on, on a printed, you know, actual item. And that whole tradition of quote unquote, journalistic integrity, which, you know, is a loosely used term, but still there were some standards that were there. And that, and that was part of, you know, basically our, uh, the economic, uh, push and pull would take care of itself. Sort of a laissez-faire, uh, mentality that applied to the press, that if a particular news source was deemed to be untrustworthy, well, you know, the people wouldn't buy the paper. They'd go out of business, right? So the ones that had more integrity, more, you know, the two-source rule, all these other things, which are basically internal ways of a, of a particular um, news source of policing itself. But to maintain that integrity so that they have the ability to market themselves as an accurate news source. That's all gone. Well, <laughs> completely, back completely the- gone. Back in the 19th century and the 18th, excuse me, the 20, early 20th century, um, most newspapers, you know, most cities had like tons Multiple. of newspapers. Yeah, like seven, and, eight, nine. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and so, and kids would sell them on the street, just like you would see in an old timey movie. And mm-hmm. um, extra, extra, you know, whatever. And, um, and, but they were all like jaded. Mm-hmm. None of them were objective. They were all like mm-hmm. telling, they were pushing an agenda, you know, and um, uh, and that that changed with certain papers to be as objective as possible. New York Times, L.A. When Times. we started having national distribution of those certain papers, That's right. Washington That's Post. And, and so and really, we've seen some amazing like you wouldn't see it in any other country. Some amazing journalism. In the 60s, the 1960s, the Pentagon Papers, the 70s, uh, the yeah, Watergate scandal, yeah. Watergate scandal, um, and even even in the 80s with Iran Contra and um, uh, 
you know, I mean, it was it was like um, at least there was moments. Yeah, where journalism made a difference. Actually, moments our lives. Where it was yeah. a huge thing. You know, one of the things that distresses me is the um, not lack of, but the um, diminishment of investigative journalism. Um, and I think a lot of federal prosecutors and any prosecutors will say that they come upon, you know, certain corruption in government, particularly um, through investigative journalism. You know, it just doesn't show itself and they can't be everywhere. And, um, you know, Pre Parara, who used to be in the uh, Southern District of New York and was famously fired by Trump, um, he says this all the time. And, um, and I thought that was fascinating. It was kind of intuitive to me just because I work in the system. But, um, you know, but with the consolidations of papers and the huge layoffs and the Internet sort of like, I don't know, <laughs> ruining everything. <laughs> things, yeah. In a way. Um, so it'll be interesting. The other, the other thing on this topic that'll be interesting is what Elon Musk does with Twitter. Because mm-hmm. I think Twitter is way overblown. Well, I mean, I, I got to be honest, and I'm just showing my age here. I don't really use it. But I kind of look at it occasionally, but I'm not like a tweeter, you know. No, I I I think I've sent out like um, two or three tweets in my life, and uh, <laughs> and one of them one of them I had to retract. <laughs> Uh, Can you do that? I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't remember how I did it, but I was told to delete it, and then um, <laughs> by my brother. And uh, but but it's you know it's like um, this very small universe of people that use it, but it's it amplifies craziness a lot. Yeah, of it's, it's highly influential for those that. Yeah, it's a very. And it shouldn't be focused, focused thing. Yeah, it shouldn't be. We should have Walter Cronkite back. <laughs> yeah, well, that'd, that'd you know, yeah. it's a steady, <laughs> steady voice of reason telling us the plain truth. I don't know. Yeah, but anyway, all right, dude. It's we'll time to wrap this up. So episode. we got to make room for the next radio show. So we got to hustle out of here and uh, invite the next uh, group in. So. Uh, have a great weekend, everybody. Tune in next week as you can every weekend right here on 1330 and 101.5 WHBL. This has been Legal Defense with Kirk and John.